the, the talk tonight is partially a thank you to some of the people in this room. Uh, there are people in this room who will know a big part of the story because we're kind of chronologically to the point where we really started coming to Family Fest and in rooms like this, in this actual room, in rooms up at Grandview Lodge, hearing talks and then getting into holy circles and sharing um, where we were in our lives and what the Holy Spirit was doing, there are people in this room who helped us with what happened in this next talk. And I'm so excited about this story because um, the Holy Spirit for both Megan and I during this portion of our lives was just on overdrive. Um, I know we've talked about uh, sometimes we really hear clearly. Uh, yesterday we talked about what happens when you can't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that well. Who do you ask to help you hear better? Um, and tomorrow, and maybe even a little bit tonight, it's going to balance out into kind of where we are right now, which is just a more normal hearing of the Holy Spirit. It isn't not there at all. It's not on overdrive like I'm about to talk about. It's just there and we can access it. But about five years ago, in my seminary experience, I needed to go on internship. Is this really too hollow? Am I, it's different. Super great. Okay. I needed to go on internship which is in the ELCA, the Lutheran Church, or a lot of denominations, something that you go on to learn how to be an ordained pastor. And to be really frank with you, Megan and I were really hoping that we could skip that year because I had had a lot of experience <laughs> being um, a pastor, a director of student ministries, and um, I went to what is called my candidacy committee, which is a group of people made up of pastors and other lay people, and they ask you questions, and they decide where you're going to go, they very much are kind of holding your future in their hands. Now, um, for whatever reason, the bishop of the St. Paul Area Synod, his name was Peter Rognes, still is, um, <laughs> he was put on my candidacy committee. And I talked to my friend Sarah, our friend Sarah, who is a pastor, and I said, what is Bishop Rognes doing on my candidacy committee? And she said, well, Kyle, either they're really worried about you or they're pretty excited about you. And I said, oh, okay. And um, so we sat at the candidacy committee meeting, the first one, and the bishop looked at me and he said, Kyle, you really need to go on internship. I'm like, why? <laughs> and he said, because you know how to do big church really well. You've been at big churches and you get how that works. The best, best thing for you would be to go to a rural church. And I looked at him, and he's the bishop, and I'm in my candidacy committee, and what I said out loud next is not what my head was thinking. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, tell me more. In my head, I'm going, why on earth would I want to do that? I don't want to go to a rural church. And he said, a rural church is so different than a huge, large suburban church. It's like comparing a cat and a microwave. I mean, they're, they're, they, they're not even comparable at all. And 
I thanked him because that's what you do with the bishop, and I went home and told Megan, it looks like we're going to go on internship. Now, the really tricky part about internship is you make $13,000 a year when you go on internship. You all know we have a family of four. Um, Megan is a beautiful, wonderful artist, and she has stayed home with Finn and Sully. Some people who go on internship, maybe the spouse is also having a full-time job at fill-in-the-blank, um, General Mills or something, and like the internship really isn't that much of a hardship. So we were really kind of freaked out um, and not knowing what we were gonna do, but we quickly learned that kind of everyone Want to, wants to stay in the Twin Cities for their internship because it's Lutheran land. Yes, it's also Catholic land and many other things, but um, there are more Lutheran churches per capita in the Twin Cities than anywhere else in the United States. In fact, the St. Paul area synod, this big, is analogous to the Indiana-Kentucky synod. Okay, so there are as many Lutheran churches in just St. Paul, we're not talking Minneapolis, as there are in all of Indiana and Kentucky. Just to give you an idea of how you know, Norwegian this place is. Um, so many, many people just want to stay in the Twin Cities, and so they incentivize you to leave the Twin Cities. And if you leave the Twin Cities, all of a sudden you're making $13,000 a year, but there's not a period at the end of the sentence, you're also getting your housing allowance. Megan and I looked at each other and said, I think we maybe are going to have to move to make this happen. And this was all happening about September, October. October, we went down for my 15-year college reunion to Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, and we had a great, great weekend. And I don't think either of us said it to each other right away on like the ride home, but within a week, one of us said to the other one, I think we're supposed to move to Decorah for internship. And it was one of those things where I can't remember who said it first, Megan is nodding, she'll correct me for sure if I'm wrong, um, or if she remembers, but it wasn't one of those things that, what did you say? It. Say it then, <laughs> Megan said it first. <laughs> but it wasn't one of those things at all where I was like, that's crazy. I immediately was like, that makes so much sense. We should move to Decorah. So, November, we went back to Decorah to stay with the same friends, had another great weekend, and it just felt like, wow, that's really going to work. That's really cool. Our friends had a church down in Decorah where um, the pastor had just left, and they needed a pastor, so our friends thought it was a slam dunk. You should just do your internship here. We need a pastor here. So I did some work talking to that pastor. She did some work and I got a very nicely worded short email back from the pastor, we're not going to be doing that. I was like, okay. So that was around December, and then um, in, in December we started looking in the Twin Cities for internships too, because we're like, what if this is just us thinking this and this really isn't what's gonna happen? We should check out what's going on in the Twin Cities. So we looked at a bunch, and then that continued into January, and February 1st is when something amazing happened. February 1st, the, the internship sites go live for the year. Now, they had given us a list of about 45 churches that we could go to, and there was nothing in Decorah, nothing. We were like, it's just not gonna work, it doesn't make any sense at all. And on February 1st, 
the computer screen popped up and it was almost all the same churches because once you're an internship church, you keep doing it. But all of a sudden, there was a brand new church in Harmony, Minnesota that popped up and it had three churches' names and then it had the Reverend Betsy Dart as the supervising pastor. This was all brand new. It had never been an internship site before. And I looked at it, screamed, and said, Meg, you gotta look at this. Harmony, Minnesota is 24 miles from Decorah. Even though it's in Minnesota, it's just really close to Decorah. And so, like within two weeks, you need to set up all of your interviews, and I interviewed with a church in Minneapolis, I interviewed with a church in St. Paul, I interviewed with a church in Rochester, and I interviewed with this pastor, Betsy Dart, from Harmony, Minnesota. Your interview is supposed to last a half hour. Um, my interview with Pastor Betsy went for an hour and 15 minutes. Um, and of course it wasn't the same feeling I had meeting Megan and I just knew that I knew her because, you know, Betsy's like a 65-year-old woman. It wasn't like that, but like I felt like I had known Betsy my whole life when I met her and I'm, I know she would say the exact same thing. And we just kept talking and at the end of the interview, she said to me, would it be all right if I gave you a hug? <laughs> And so at the end of this interview, like we hugged and um, it was just that type of thing. I got on the phone with Meg on my drive home. I'm like, my honey, this is it. This is it. You could knock me over with a feather. This is it. And um, it was amazing. But a lot of things had to happen. And some of you are kind of nodding because you remember some of the stuff that happened because we were coming to Family Fest during that time and we sat in small group and we were really excited and really nervous and trying to figure everything out. Now, we got to go backwards just a little bit. The year before, we had tried to sell our house for a lot of different reasons and we had it up for seven months. We had our house up for seven months and we didn't get one offer. And that's just important to know. And this is when the housing market sucked, okay? It just, nothing was moving at all. And it was um, getting to be March of 2011, and we were starting to get really nervous and realizing that we needed to get the house up because it might take months to sell. And so we did a very bold and potentially stupid thing. We put our house up for sale the weekend of March 12, 2011, and we did not get our assignment to go to Harmony until April 1st. So there was two or three weeks where we prayed hard and sought out advice from people in the room, sought out advice from our family, and we were trying to listen to the Holy Spirit really, really hard. But I'd had that interview and it felt like this was going to be it. Betsy had also done something potentially stupid and had invited us to come down the weekend of March 12th and just look at the church. Don't tell anyone that she did that because that was a big no-no. She was not supposed to do that. But she also was listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and she was like, I'm pretty sure it's you guys, but she couldn't tell me that. She goes, why don't you just come down and look at the church? So the weekend of March 12th, we put our house up and we went back down to Decorah and we went down on a Friday, Saturday, our realtor called and she said, you've got a showing, and it's a young couple, da-da-da-da-da. 
the next day, um, she said they came back to the open house, and we had a lot of interest at the open house. And on Monday morning, she called us and she said, um, they want your house. It sold in 48 hours. The year before, it had truly been up for seven months and we had not received one offer. I cannot tell you when that happened, how much that was like God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus. You know how sometimes you read in the Bible and sometimes you experience um, the Holy Spirit as a still, gentle voice or a whisper? This wasn't like that. This felt like God screaming into a megaphone, go, you're supposed to do this and you're going to be fine. It was all of those things all wrapped into one when we sold our house that fast. It was this confirmation of, wow. Um, good news, yes, we were placed on April 1st at that church. And I know for me and Megan, during those months, I can't remember a time in our lives where things just seemed to be so, so clear, which is an awesome, awesome feeling, but the story's not even beginning to be done. Many of you know that we moved down there. The people who bought our house wanted to uh, move in very quickly, and so the only downside was the kids had school till June 14th, and they wanted to close on April 30th. You can do the math. We had six weeks with no place to go. And we asked some people from CPC if we could move in with them. And <laughs> that was kind of a big thing to ask. And, and the next day, the people said, yeah, we would love to. Uh, if you know these people, they're, they're just amazing people. They are Steve and Debbie Manning, and they have... Um, they have three kids, and we've known them for a long, long time. The important part of this story is, is that they have a daughter named Kate who was about to be a freshman at Luther College in Decorah, Iowa. And Kate was a little bit nervous. And just between all of us, she was a lot bit nervous about going to school and maybe being homesick. And we got to move in with them for the month of May and Kate had known me as her youth pastor for a long, long time, but that month, she absolutely fell in love with Megan. Megan like, became like a second mom to her, and like very soon, she told her mom, I'm really not that nervous to go anymore, because Kyle and Megan are going to be right down the street. Um, it was just this other Holy Spirit gift that just kept happening, because uh, we did move down to Decorah on we actually moved down June 13th because we couldn't handle it anymore, and so Megan's parents brought the kids down on June 14th. They, we just kind of had them finish out school. Um, and we were supposed to be down there for a year, so we signed a year lease, and um, something amazing happened. Now, just to describe how this internship site worked, there was a town church where there's about 150 people who worshiped at the church, great church called Greenfield. And then there was a rural church called St. Matthew's that worshiped about 25 people. And then there was another rural church called St. Paul's, worshiped about a dozen people. Um, and 
my job was to preach every week at those little churches, St. Matthew's and St. Paul's. I'd go at 9 o'clock and I'd do the worship, the whole thing, like there was no one else. I'm, you know, used to being at Christ Presbyterian or another huge church where there's like 80 staff, just me and a part-time secretary named Nancy. Um, I made the mistake of starting to call Nancy my administrative assistant. She's about 70. She said, Kyle, I've been the church secretary for 15 years. You can call me the secretary. It's fine. Um, part of what the bishop was talking about is when you usually go on internship, you maybe get to preach once a month. I got to preach every week of my internship because I needed to. There were three churches and that's kind of how it was set up to work. And then one Sunday of, uh, of the month, Betsy would do those small churches and I got to be at the bigger church and that's how the schedule worked. Betsy immediately became part of our family uh, Betsy um, was uh, pretty newly widowed, and she had recently taken this call and didn't have much family. Um, and Megan and Betsy quickly developed a relationship where Megan was like a daughter to her, just in every good sense of the word. Betsy has one son, had never had a daughter, and you could just tell like the delight in her eye. Um, when she would see Megan, when she would see our kids. And um, it just was a very, very cool and special relationship. So we moved down there, I'm doing this thing. And in October, Betsy got pretty sick and she was out for three weeks. And I had to learn how to do all three churches, which meant I had to like get some pulpit supply and talk and, and figure out how to do that and work with the synod. And um, we just kind of kept moving through the year Megan calls this year that we did on the $13,000 plus the housing allowance the loaves and fishes year. There was always enough. That's just what she calls it. It was loaves and fishes. There was always enough. We did prep for it. We got ready for it. I think we were smart about it. But um, for instance, I, I gave a sermon once on, um, on bread and I started talking about food, and I didn't mean, I really didn't mean anything by it. I just said, we're learning how to eat a little differently this year, like we're eating more beans, you know, because like, meat's expensive. And this couple from the church took it upon themselves. There was a really good meat market in town. They would anonymously give us a gift certificate, just like every other. You like this? I like it a lot, Rich. Thanks. Um, after, if you could just follow me along and dig the microphone out of my butt, that'd be great. They did this anonymously, but this sweet lady named Anne, she had this great way of writing, and after a while I figured out, that's Cliff and Anne. They were taking care of us, and um, there are people here in the room who took care of us, too. It was a loaves and fishes year, a loaves and fishes experience that we'll never forget. Well, the reason I am telling you so much of this story is because of what's about to happen next, and some of you might remember this, but 
um, in February, Betsy got really sick again, and she was in the hospital, and we could tell that something was up, something was not right. And um, by March, she told me and she told us that she had been diagnosed with uterine cancer. And um, it, it seemed at the time like it was gonna be okay. Um, I'm not sorry, Rich, I'm just thankful for you. Um, and she had surgery in April and they found out that it had moved to another organ, her liver, and she had stage four uterine cancer. Um, when this happened, I can't tell you how much the pull that Megan and I felt to go down there was like affirmed, reaffirmed, confirmed, and we understood beyond the shadow of a doubt. Like before we already were really feeling like we listened to the Holy Spirit, but now we were like, okay, here's why. And not only did we feel that, we had people at the church saying, thank God you listened. Thank God you came. Because, and I'm not trying to sound strange right now, but both synods, the St. Paul area synod and the Southeast synod, they said this would not have worked if we would have sent a normal intern, like someone who didn't have a lot of experience. But I did have a lot of experience, and I was okay. I could, it was, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of stress. We had to figure a lot of things out. Um, Betsy was in and out of the hospital she, I'm sorry, she was never out of the hospital in April, May, and June. She got a huge infection, and I can't tell you how many miles Megan put on the car from Decorah to Rochester to visit her, to hold her hand, and just be with her. The thing about Betsy is she's like the superest pastory pastor I know, meaning like um, she's, pretty, she's pretty holy. <laughs> and and um, what I mean by that is she doesn't easily let people in but because Megan is who Megan is, and because they had this daughter relationship, she let Megan take care of her. And every person we talked to said, she doesn't do that with anybody, but she let Megan take care of her during that time. And you could just palpably feel and see um, why we were supposed to go. Um, and so that summer, she really almost died. Praise God, she is still alive. Her cancer is actually back again after, I, I kind of lose track of time. She had a kind of a good year and then it came back and she's doing some hormone therapy stuff. Um, but during that year, we just needed to still stay in Decorah, which was not the plan at all. We needed to uh, rent another house because we had signed this lease. It got really, really crazy. Um, but it was such confirmation that we were supposed to go there. Another amazing thing happened while we were there. Um, you know, we, we um, churched, or I did church in Harmony, but our town in Decorah, we had an experience that we had never experienced before. And the experience was this. Most of our friends were unchurched. It's just the way it was um, we, I knew a lot of people from college who had, um, who had kind of come back to Decorah and really don't worship, don't know the Lord, 
And it was such a fascinating and good experience for us to just be around people who don't have this and don't know this. Um, and it was really, really funny. You guys, most of you know me pretty well. I, <laughs> it would be so funny. We'd be at a party and, and you know, maybe we had met people like three times. And then, like the fourth time, you know, it would come up like, well, what do you do? <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm a Lutheran pastor. You know, and sometimes people are like, oh, no. <laughs> because we just didn't make that big of a deal of it. We were just trying to get to know people, you know, and, you know, one person was like, oh, my gosh, I swore with you last week. I'm like, yes, you did. <laughs> but it was such, it was such an eye-opening experience. And we love being around Christian believers, but it was a great, great time for us to realize that the world is big and we are going to talk about that in uh, the worship service tomorrow in the Bible study or in the Bible verse that I've chosen is um, who is out there in your world that doesn't do this, that doesn't know this? And I see all the time people bring people here and they're, they're somewhat nervous, but it's such a blessing and such a wonderful, good thing to do. But I think God wants us out there doing that all the time. Um, just real quickly before we go to small groups, I, I want to share um, from Acts 2, which is really, in my mind, it is the Holy Spirit book. In Acts 2, it's when we have Pentecost, and the Spirit just comes flooding in in this very, very dramatic unbelievable, jaw-dropping way. Flames are on people's heads. People are speaking in languages that other people don't understand. I mean, the flame on the head, like, Hollywood doesn't come up with stuff that good. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what happens the day of Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit is unleashed into the world. I was very careful to say the first day I spoke, that I think the Spirit has always, always been there. It's always been there. But in Acts 2, it absolutely takes off. And I have a theory about not only the goodness of Jesus, the salvific nature of Jesus, but the brilliance of Jesus. Jesus knew exactly the logarithmic equation that it took for him to get put up on the cross. He knew he had to die. But he also knew who to tell, who to share with, so that the Gentiles would know and that Christianity would take off like wildfire. If you've ever read the Gospels and wondered, why did he tell some people, don't say anything? Shh! Quiet! Don't say that I healed you. And then other people got healed, and he'd be like, go tell everybody. Go tell everybody. Have you, raise your hand if you've ever wondered why he did that. Thank you. I sure have. Um, Jesus knew that if he told too many Jewish people, he would have been killed too soon. And he wanted the Gentiles, Paul's letter is filled with it, 
to know the truth about who Jesus is, the risen Savior. And so the Holy Spirit in this book takes off and it grows like wildfire. And in Acts 2, at the end, there's something amazing that happens. And we've heard, many of us have heard this verse before, but it says this. This is what the fellowship of the believers did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I want you, as I read this, to just stop and think about Summer Splash. I want you to think about Winter Weekend. I want you to think about Family Fest. And in just a bit, we're going to look at small group questions. We're going to ask the question, how is this group like how I'm going to describe? And how is it not? So listen. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There are so many things that resonate for me as I think about this family and what we do together. I just want you to take some time in your groups to share some stories about amazing things that have happened because of this place and to be thankful and to be grateful and to be filled with gratitude because there are so many people in this world who never get this. They don't. They somewhat have community, but they don't really have community. And see what the Holy Spirit is telling you about how we can even be more like this. This is what I'm talking about when I say, what is the Holy Spirit teaching the community, this community in this room? That's what I'd love for us to talk a little bit about tonight. Let's pray. God of grace and glory, Jesus, thank you for coming and knowing exactly the time, exactly knowing who to talk to, who to tell to be silent, and who to tell to proclaim. Sometimes you are saying the same thing to us. Help us know the difference and to discern. Be with us. Guide our hearts guide our fellowship, guide our community that we would want more than anything to seek out your voice. You want us to do good in this world. You want us to share with people who don't have this. You want people to know who you are. And the Lord added daily to those who are being saved. May it be so. In your name we pray. Amen.